Question for you: When it comes to reading body language, are you able to tell when someone's really comfortable versus when they're uncomfortable? So, for example, do you know the difference between an adapter and an illustrator, or what a barrier is? And if you're a little fuzzy on this terminology, well. This is an episode that you are truly going to enjoy because we are going to be taking your ability to read body language to the next level. And when you get really good at even just the basics, you are going to be so much more effective than most of the other people in the room with you. So if you're ready to learn some cool new things, let's get started. Welcome to the Happy and Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Lang, and this podcast is dedicated to my fellow women in STEM. After working in high tech for ten years, in 2004, I became the proud owner of Pacific Heights Health Club in San Francisco, where I worked with thousands of clients over the span of 15 years to help them reach their health and fitness goals. Now I'm sharing what I've learned about what works as well as what doesn't work when it comes to making healthy habits stick. So, if you want to find out what it takes to achieve lasting weight loss, to create deep health, and feel empowered to live the life you want, you're in the right place. Episode number one hundred and forty-four. Well, hi there, Amy here. Thank you so much for joining me today. So, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, first I want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. Second, you have actually stumbled across part three of a five-part series. So, I would recommend that you actually hit pause and go back a couple of episodes. Start with. The one about stress, why we worry, and how to stop, and then move forward from there. So, what I'm doing is dedicating quite a few episodes here to body language, and specifically more around all the nonverbal communication. So, not just the what you say. I'll be talking about how we say it, and then everything else that goes into being able to read. People accurately. So when you look at your work life, your home life, when you talk about friends and family and the dating scene, all of those things. If you are going to be able to get the things that you want, be able to persuade and influence people, the ability to read the room, to read people accurately, is so important. And so I really. Even from a coaching perspective, I want to be able, when I'm working with clients, to really understand what's going on with someone.、And、that's really why I took a deep dive into this whole area around body language. Okay, so I'm sharing really kind of what I'm learning along the way. And if you want to learn more about this, if you want to go deep on this too, I've been watching the behavior panel on YouTube. And they actually refer to three specific individuals on the Mount Rushmore of body language. 
One is Joe Navarro. Another one is Paul Ekman, and the third one is Desmond Harris. And if you want、uh, the books that they recommend, I'll include those in the show notes as well. So when we, I'm just going to do sort of big picture here. When you look at the people that you meet in your life, at the end of the day, they kind of fall into four categories. You've got the allies or your friends. So these are the people that are going to help you get your wants and needs met. You've got the enemies, and here you want to be able to identify who those are. Especially, we want to make sure we know who our frenemies are. Right, those folks who are pretending to be our friends but are really not. We also want to be able to, especially if you're dating. Be able to identify potential mates, <laughs> as well as、um, attract the ones that we want. And then, of course, I think most people we meet in our life actually fall into none of the above category. So, when I talk about these four groups again, this is not just about surviving, but actually, it's more about thriving in our life. So. When I say needs, I'm thinking about survival. When I say wants, I'm thinking about thriving. And if we talk about what our boundaries are, it has everything to do with being really clear about what you want and what you need, and then not being afraid of making sure that you're taking care of those. Sometimes it may actually be. Um, where you need to negotiate with someone else so that they don't see what you want as a threat. So it kind of goes—it's a dance. It goes both ways. So when we look at behavior, first last time I talked about facial expressions, and prior to that I talked about the stress response. So what I want to remind you of here is that so much of What our brain and body are designed to handle is actually dedicated to our survival and safety. So that's like our default position. Those are our priorities. If we aren't able to identify who our our enemies are, that threat to us, you know, if you mistake、um, if you mistake a moving vehicle that's about to hit you with Um, a flying piece of foam core, <laughs> right? If it's the foam core and it hits you and doesn't hurt you, no big deal. But if you actually miss the car and you're injured, not so good. And so we are are tuned into threats to our safety and survival. Number one. And so when I talk about all of this, I want you to. Understand that we all already have an instinct that we rely on. Okay, and then what I'm talking about here is when there are emergency situations. If you've gotten additional training, instead of falling back on instinct, you may get to fall back on training. But when we have the luxury of time. We can actually practice more critical thinking, and by that I just mean we get to insert a pause, and really be able to think through what's what's going on with a particular situation. So, 
there are two parts to this whole conversation. One is, well, if we already have the instinctive ability to read people, why do we actually want to become more conscious of it? Well, I think it's because more often than not, we, are, we may be reading people incorrectly, inaccurately, and then we're responding, or rather we're not responding in a way that actually is in our own best interest. So if, you know, if you think about it, if you, in a dating scene, if you didn't read someone correctly, what can happen? So I think about that very initial thing. If a guy's interested in you and he asks you out and you're really not interested, you've got to find a way to let him down gently. Well, for him, he misread the situation. He took a chance. No one takes that chance wanting to get rejected. So there was a miscommunication there that took place. We want to minimize the number of times there's miscommunication. So when I look at the human body, I talked about facial expressions last time. So there's a bunch of stuff to unpack there. And again, I just scratched the surface there. The Mount Rushmore, again, of body language are people like Joe Navarro, are people like Desmond Harris and Paul Ekman. Paul Ekman was like the discoverer or founder of micro expressions. So you could spend years just learning about how to read those momentary flashes of emotion that someone might um, might reflect in their face. All right, we're talking here about more basic stuff, but I do believe that if we get really, really good at even just the basic stuff, we're going to be ahead of most people who never even learn this stuff. So when you look at the human body, right, I talked about the face, I talked about stress, and stress is basically when we're under threat of some kind, when there's a threat to getting our wants and needs met. And so when you're reading someone else, are they in a position are they in a position of power to either help you or hurt you? Right? Do they have power to help you? Do they have power over you? Those are all things that we want to be able to discern, to judge properly. And so, okay, so I talked about stress so that you understand what that threat response is and how we default to that. So we literally have a negativity bias. We also have a confirmation bias, meaning we want to be right. We recognize a pattern from the past, and our brains are really good at recognizing patterns. Doesn't mean we're always right. So this is where things like training and especially critical thinking can be really helpful, where we insert a pause to make sure that we're interpreting things correctly. Okay, So... Facial expressions was a whole set of things. The body now, we're looking at everything from your head position to things like what's going on with your face, your ears, your neck, your shoulders, your arms, your elbows, your hands, your fingers. Then we're going down to your chest, your soft underbelly, okay, your hips, your private parts, your legs, and your feet. So I'm looking at all of those things. And ultimately, when we look at behavior, I would say 
You're looking at the continuum from being really relaxed and comfortable to really uncomfortable and tense and then everything in between. So it's obviously really helpful to know when someone's relaxed and what that looks like and then what it looks like when mm, they're maybe holding back information or not being entirely forthcoming with what they're saying and being able to understand when that is occurring is really important. And so when you look at body language, look at what people are doing, there's sort of three categories, if you will, of movement. So there are adapters, illustrators, and barriers. So adapters are all those things that I was talking about when I was talking about what happens when we're under stress. And when you look at behavior, I would say sometimes the behavior is leaking out as in it's being displayed at an unconscious level. Sometimes it's a very deliberate show. And then sometimes it's just the natural flow. And so being able to identify which one of those is happening is really important. So adapters fall more into like the leaking out of stress usually. And that could be things like people people are actually just doing things to try to release nervous energy, if you think about it that way. So it could be things like covering their mouth or touching their neck or swaying their body. Things that are not what they would normally do. It's only when they're under a little bit of stress or a lot of stress that you might see that behavior. Uh, sometimes the adapter could be even things like shifting positions to get more comfortable. It could be an itch, right? Anything where you're moving your body in a way that you wouldn't do if you were comfortable and relaxed. So the other sign that someone is fairly comfortable is if they like to talk with their hands to illustrate a story, those would be illustrators versus when someone is nervous and their hands are moving all over the place and it actually is a distraction from what they're saying. That would be an example of the difference between an adapter and an illustrator where literally if you were just watching their hands, the hands are helping to emphasize the points of what they're saying. And so illustrators really tend to be very congruent and timed with what someone is saying. Again, it's part of emphasizing what someone is telling you. So I talked about the example in dating. Now I think about in business, I remember way back when I worked at Netscape and Mark Andreessen was being interviewed and he was the ripe old age of like 22 or 23 at the time versus the CEO, Jim Barksdale. And when Mark Andreessen was speaking, his hand movements were all over the place. It was actually really distracting and taking away from what he was saying versus Jim Barksdale, who was actually fairly still. So if you want to be perceived as someone who is calm and confident, you'll want your body position to be fairly relaxed. And actually, less movement or using only illustrators is definitely going to be more helpful there. And of course, every culture is a little different. 
So I think about people who are Italian from New York. They're going to have big hand movements. So it's just different. It's different depending on where you're from too. But just remember again, what does that person's body do when they're relaxed, when they're flowing? And then barriers are usually a form of an adapter. So it's another category. And that's ultimately about creating space for a person. So when you see someone, let's say if they're in a really cold environment and they cross their arms to keep themselves warm, they are creating a barrier. If you're talking to them, if you misread it as they're not interested in what I'm saying or they're closed off, if you misinterpret that as closed off as opposed to they're just really cold, how does that change your communication? So this is why I'm, I'm saying it's really important for us to be clear on what we are interpreting, specific body language as meaning, right? And more often than not, just like anything else that I've talked about in this podcast, we often make it mean something about ourselves. When, in fact, it's usually more a reflection about the person that's speaking to us or about the person who's listening to us for that matter, okay? So barriers can also be things like when you close your eyes. Not always, but a lot of times when you close your eyes, like if you needed to solve a math problem, you might break eye contact and maybe look, you know, gaze forward and a little downward so that you can think. Some people will actually close their eyes, but that really is basically a sign that you you need space, the space and the time to think about something. If someone gestures with their palms facing out toward you, we tend to think of that as like, stop, hold on. Right? We know all of these things already. What I'm trying to do, though, is really help you see how the behavior is a reflection of someone's comfort level. So comfort level is on a continuum from open to closed, or think relaxed versus tense. So when you think about muscles, right, if you look at someone's hands, a relaxed hand position is where the palms are usually up and when the fingers are relaxed, so they're a little curved, as a matter of fact, if you were to straighten out your fingers and splay your fingers, that requires muscle activation, right? So now you're flexing. And then if you uh, curl up your hands into a fist, that again is a closed position. Both of those are requiring some level of muscle activity. So I would say while it's closed or while it's flexed open, they're both changes. And they both could be either about opening and closing or potentially pulling someone closer or pushing them further away. So when you look at that behavior and think about what it represents, a lot of times to understand what it means, all you have to do is actually mirror it. See how it feels in your body in the context in which you're hearing it 
or seeing it, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't really hear the body language I'm talking about. You actually have to see it. So pay attention to what that looks like. And then if you're in a situation and you aren't quite sure what to make of what you've just witnessed, and again, Understand that when you're listening to body language experts or behavior experts, whatever you want to call them, they've had a lot of practice watching people. So just like anything else that we learn in life, we tend to go through these four stages. So there's this unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence where you're like, okay, I know I'm not doing it to conscious competence and then unconscious competence. And so what we're doing right now is trying to create or develop conscious competence, which means we have to slow things down before we can speed them up. So if you're in a position where you have time to really think about what's happening, I want you to employ the learning cycle method or TLC method. It's a five-step process. It's something I teach inside my course and it goes like this. Step one, I want you to notice it. Whatever that thought and interpretation of the situation is, I want you, once you become aware of it, I want you to notice it. Step two, I want you to name it. So I want you to shine a light on it. And unlike those fleeting thoughts, which are kind of like dreams that just, you know, they come and go really, really quickly. When you name it, it might require you to journal a little bit, some way of capturing it so you can actually, and I love putting it on paper because it gives you the ability to observe it. So, you know, there's always the expression, we are not our thoughts. We think thoughts, but we are not our thoughts. So before you internalize it, we want to sort of suspend judgment on that interpretation. Okay, so step three is to question it. So I want you to consider the context. You may actually want to widen your lens and then ask four questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it necessary and is it kind? And ultimately, this is about, does your interpretation empower you? Does it serve you? Okay. If it doesn't, then step four, I want you to challenge it. So what is the underlying premise of the interpretation? And can you find a more positive way to think about it? So step five is to reframe it and find an empowering interpretation. Now, I am not saying that your original interpretation was not accurate, okay? And if it is, and it allows you to respond accordingly in a way that helps you meet your wants and needs, great. This is about really suspending your judgment for just a moment and to move from sort of that instinct to a more conscious choice. And when we do it this way, we're employing our critical thinking skills. So we're countering our confirmation bias 
and our negativity bias. So confirmation bias is where we recognize a pattern and we want to be right. So we use that pattern. We only look for evidence that supports that particular theory and ignore everything else. So this is an opportunity to take a, a wider lens, if you will, and really consider other information that we may be ignoring. And then negativity bias goes to that survival and safety instinct, that default that says, in light of insufficient data, we're going to use sort of the worst case scenario to keep ourselves safe. So critical thinking, that pause that I'm talking about here, where we are challenging our original interpretation, especially if it doesn't serve us, that's what this is about is being able, again, to read situations and read people accurately. And again, I would say, if you're in a situation where there's really no time to think, then by all means, default to instinct. <laughs> this is really more about in those situations where we do have time to actually pause and think about what we're going to do next. All right? So... Again, if you are looking for the books that I mentioned earlier in this episode, go to the show notes. I'll be including links to those there. And if you would like some coaching, so if you would like some coaching on how to, look, how to use the TLC method, by all means, go to my website, moxie-club.com, and sign up or schedule a mini coaching session. And that first one is free. So it's only 20 minutes and I would love to help you. All right. So I'm going to wrap up today's podcast with a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. You wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. You've been listening to the Happy and Healthy Podcast with Amy Lang. If you enjoyed today's episode, by all means, hit the subscribe button now. If you're ready to get started, visit my website, moxieclub.com. That's M-O-X-I-E hyphen C-L-U-B And sign up for my free mini course, How to Lose Weight for the Last Time. And remember... Making your choices when you're in a state of abundance is where the magic happens.